0: Welcome to Luxury on Air, where we explore the trends, innovations, and personalities defining and redefining the luxury industry. Welcome to a new episode of Luxury on Air. My name is Karen Segedy, and I'm your host of today's edition of our series of podcasts focusing on luxury trends in industry and academia. Today, we'll be focusing on an exciting topic. Which is a path towards digital and Asia in luxury. And we are very honored to have Franck Vivier, the Chief Transformation Officer of Richemont, giving his perspective on the shift in the luxury industry. We are delighted to have you as our guest today, Franck. Welcome to Luxury On Air.
1: Thank you, Karine. It's a pleasure.
0: Frank, this past year has accelerated digitalization for many luxury brands. But the future of retail is more than just e-commerce platforms and spicing up your social media channels. We're talking immersive digital experiences like virtual showrooms or fashion shows, using augmented reality to try on clothes, watches, jewelry from comfort of homes, or designers piloting 3D prototypes to test out designs virtually to gauge consumer interest. In view, Frank, what digital innovations over the past years have excited you personally?
1: Karen, it's an interesting question because uh, the COVID pandemic itself uh, has shown that uh, it sometimes takes a crisis for organizations to really become extremely innovative out of necessity. And I don't think that this has been any different for the luxury industry. Um, There are obviously many innovations that took place to try and mitigate the fact that Most of your conventional sales channels, uh, your distribution capabilities were shut down or extremely impaired. We believe that uh, there has been some very, very interesting uh, innovations in the industry at large. I can only reflect on the things that we've experienced, and uh, I want to refer particularly to... uh, what happened uh, vis-a-vis the China market, because that has been probably one of the most fascinating uh, phenomena. One thing that uh, I can uh, share with you, um, as is now well known, but let me use it as an example in any event, is the fact that um, uh, not only have we seen what you refer to as uh, some of the specific in-store technologies or out of store digital technologies, uh, virtual reality and so forth and so forth that are being used by customers um, to uh, understand uh, about products because they're not in the store themselves. But I think there's some larger industrial scale innovations that have taken place, which will be a precursor for many, many years to come. Uh, And I wanna use the example of uh, the annual event of uh, Watches and wonders it used to be called the Salon International de horlogerie in Geneva, which is the showcase for the industry, which we could not do because of the sudden uh, explosion of the pandemic uh, last year. And uh, together with our colleagues um, and all the participating Maisons in this wonderful annual event, we decided to uh, not be uh, taken aback uh, by this uh, sudden massive unexpected uh, predicament, but that we would actually be proactive and move the event in its entirety online. and. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about our partnership with Alibaba uh, later on, but it enabled us to talk to um, Alibaba and uh, to put this entire uh, event online in China, not only for our Chinese clientele, but also our trade partners. And it's a worldwide, um, uh, it was a worldwide event. Um, And we have subsequently... Uh, repeated it um, very successfully, and it's had an absolutely extraordinary outcome in terms of um, the response from uh, the industry, uh, from um, our clients, and that by itself spawned many, many um, innovations, both tactically, operationally, strategically, which uh, for us is, is is a complete new vector of development. Um, If we talk about specific uh, innovations um, and again what we've encountered uh, during the pandemic is this very urgent need to uh, enable our clients to shop uh, and to experience uh, their um, preferred uh, maisons. Uh, But uh, if you have uh, closed showrooms and closed uh, boutiques you need to Uh, be inventive and take the boutique to them. You need to enable remote uh, shopping, looking, uh, searching, etc. Things we've been doing for quite a long time. We were lucky that we started uh, the e-commerce journey um, more than a decade ago, which uh, to an extent was a little bit pioneering in the industry uh, because there was a lot of skepticism that people would shop luxury goods online. Fortunately, everybody realizes today that in the very short space of less than a year, uh, a very large proportion of our clients who have been living online, especially the younger ones, um, actually welcomed some of these innovations that allowed them to uh, virtually shop and virtually go into the boutique, um, talk and meet and share uh, conversations with uh, the uh, uh, in-store um, uh, sales assistants and our uh, ambassadors at our client relations centers uh, online.
0: So a lot going on and a lot getting digital. Um, maybe as a follow-up question on the on, on two things, Elements that you ma- uh, mentioned that are quite linked. On one hand, Watches and Wonders went digital in Geneva, and Watches and Wonders remained um, physical. In, in Shanghai uh, this 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 summer, uh, this summer this uh, spring. And um, the question is, uh, do you think that because of technology was so strong this year to allow the Watches of Wonder having a great success in Geneva, will it remain a digital event or are um, uh, the, is the public, the buyers, the CEOs still needing this this physical contact? And second question is that a uh, bit same to the e-commerce that you mentioned. I mean, the young consumers are asking e-commerce. It's increasingly easy, speedy, a lot of offers on the, on, on the web. What will, again, make the people and the consumers go back to the brick and mortar stores? Uh,
1: yeah, I carry our view as very clear that um, one should not really make a distinction between the world of online and the world of offline. Because... In the minds of many, if not most of our customers, they don't make a distinction. Um, You know, if you uh, talk to your kids and uh, you show them um, a telephone on a desk or what we would use to have in a a fixed line phone, um, they actually find it quite uh, curious, even (laughs) hilarious, you know that we actually talk about a fixed-line phone. A phone is a mobile phone. I mean, that's the that's the, the 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 default phone definition. A fixed phone is something that's a little bit antiquated. They don't use it anymore. <laughs> so the same thing is, as as our chairman often says. You know, there will come a time quite soon where we will talk about um, offline as uh, as something that is a little bit antiquated. It doesn't mean that offline is going away. It just means that there is no distinction between online and offline. Uh, if someone is inside your boutique um, uh, with a phone, a mobile phone, taking pictures of a product, uh, sharing the picture of a you know, piece of jewelry or a, 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 a nice handbag, immediately, instantaneously with a circle of friends and say to them, which colors should I take? Now, is that online? Is that offline? Because you see in the boutique, you don't know. If you look at the decision process, uh, you may go to a boutique, you know, well as we used to travel before, um, go through an uh, airport, you see something, it's beautiful, you don't have the time to go in. You uh, arrive at your destination or back home, you go online, you look, check it out, uh, you talk to your Your preferred, uh, you know, favorite uh, client ambassador um, sent a a voice note uh, or a mail or a picture and said, Is this available? You make a boutique appointment and tomorrow you go physically to the boutique. So for us, this is a wonderful evolution that has just accelerated the fact that we need to adapt to our clients' lifestyles and the way they shop and the way that they experience. Uh, a great shopping um, journey. Um, and uh, for us, it really comes down to supporting that and making that seamless. Um, so to come back to Watches of Wonders, um, our vision is that Watches of Wonders was, was always going to be both an offline physical event because people like to interact. People like to talk, to share, to have dinners together after the show, to compare notes. Um, and at the same time, um, the, 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 the pure mesmerizing wonder of walking around and seeing these beautiful creations um, is, is something that's incomparable. Um, I'm not saying that the images are not the same online or offline. I mean, that's an also awesome an outdated idea to even debate that. But it's just the human experience because Humans are social animals, and it's a social approach to offer that. But at the same time, we see the tremendous scalability that technology offers us to take a physical event and extend it online so that clients that cannot travel, clients that are not able to come to the event, as well as our trade partners, are able to experience this. And on top of that, and we'll come to that a little bit later, is through Alibaba, we have encountered the incredible innovations that they've evolved over a short space of time, and they're the world leader in in these um, innovations that allow people to become so immersed uh, in an online um, uh, event, an exhibition, when they cannot be going to the physical event that gives them an incredible experience. So for us... Um, the combination of a physical event at home where the event has its roots in Geneva together with um, uh, a physical event in, uh, in, in, in Shanghai or wherever else it may take place, combined with an online uh, campaign that reinforces and allows people to go online offline offline, online etc um, both to to exhibit, from the Maison's perspective, but to engage uh, the clients and from the client's perspective, to be able to shop, to, um, to try on, to, to look at the new novelties, that to us is where the future will be.
0: And probably uh, all these shifts require a lot of technology and you mentioned it several times. Do you have the feeling that the luxury houses are becoming more a technology company going forward?
1: Um, you know, there's an old saying, that um, in the short term, we overestimate the impact of technology, a new technology. And over the long term, we underestimate the impact of technology. There's not an industry on the planet today that can state with safety that they don't need empowering technology to improve themselves, to improve the relationship with their clients. Um, and to be better businesses in terms of share the value in terms of brand equity. So technology as an empowering tool and enabler is what it's about. Are we a tech company? Of course not. We will never try and be a tech company because it's not our DNA. Uh, It's not what we're about as an industry. However, there's a lot that we can learn from the tech companies and that's what we're finding with partners like Alibaba where the organizational agility and the way that they work and the speed of decision making and the response to the client and the ability to be client centric in a way that is almost unimaginable using artificial intelligence powered data and then using machine learning to constantly real time update their data right down to the individual customer, preferences, likes, dislikes, um, uh, etc., is extraordinary. So in that sense, the more we can learn from technology companies about organization, how to organize themselves, how to constantly innovate, improve, experiment, that's what they do. Tech ventures, by their very nature, and I spent a lot of time in tech ventures. I was an entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur. Uh, in digital payments for a long time. And and I remember um, the, the, the culture by default is one of constant experimentation. Things are never perfect. You don't have the time to perfect it when the next innovation is there. What you have to try and do is to constantly experiment to maintain a level of curiosity and follow the customer because the customer will tell you whether this helps them, whether this solves a problem, whether this improves their lives or not. And that is what we need to learn and constantly embed in our own culture. And in that sense, I think this has been a huge wake-up call for the luxury industry and many other industries. So, so,
0: very interesting. So really, I mean, the, the the consumer being at the heart of everything you do. I think that's that's absolutely a given. And technology helping you to better understand the consumer, to better fit your products, to um, tailor the shopping behaviors, the consumer preferences. That is that is what you're working on in a constant basis and with a accelerated speed. If I understand
1: correctly. Yes. Uh, if I can use the example of uh, what the COVID pandemic, I think, has taught uh, you know the luxury industry at large, and and Arishmo is no different in that sense. We all. Nobody knows what the future is going to look like. Anybody that says, listen, I can predict you what's going to happen three years, four years, five years, you know, ahead. I mean, that's just crazy. What you have to do is you have to have a culture that welcomes change, even although it may be very disruptive change. And a critical element of that mindset is to follow your customers, is to really, really try and understand what they tell you. And often we think we're hearing, but we're not. When your business model is very supply-driven or push-driven, you're not very good at listening to customer feedback. Okay. And the industry at large have been very much a wholesale industry where we rely rely on our wonderful trade partners um, to be able to manage the the, the customer interface. Um, And in today's world, digital technologies have put the power of, of knowledge of information about the brands and the products in the hands of the customer. And therefore, you find that it's not just our industry, you find the customers often walk into a physical store, a showroom, a boutique, and they know more than the salespeople who have not had the time to catch up on even the last the previous edition. So they puts, it, it puts a huge pressure on the business model that is static, that is fixed. So for us, and um, if we can touch a little bit on some of the experience, and I'll capture a few points here, if I may, uh, with Alibaba, um, it's reinforced what we've discovered um, over the last few years, that you basically need to constantly reinvent your route to market um, with a focus on constantly improving step-by-step. And it may not be big steps. It may not have to be step changes. But you constantly have to have your best endeavor to improve that customer relationship. And China is a very, very special market for the luxury goods industry specifically because of the incredible acceleration of China as a digital nation. Um, There are very many special factors that that, uh, account for that, but there are very few places on the planet where digital innovations happen so rapidly. And um, we've really, really, really had to step up our ability um, to understand, to to get insights about how that works. For example, when you do a "Watch and Wonders" campaign on Tmall, which is their mega platform, and it's very interesting. Alibaba has managed to build an ecosystem, which is also something that we discovered in our relationship with Alibaba, which is something that is not well understood in the conventional, traditional luxury goods industry and other industries that sell their products on their platform, where everything is connected. And data is the new oil. Alibaba describes themselves as a data company. And if you look at the requirements to be successful, as a maison that has a store on the pavilion, the luxury pavilion, the way that the Alibaba ecosystem works is everything is focused, number one, on the customer shopping journey. So if you look at the calendar of Alibaba on Tmall specifically, you see a series of very frequent customer shopping festivals Mm -hmm. and they give them certain names and um, It stands for certain things. And everybody today knows about Double Eleven, which is this, you know, was Singles Day. It was around about 2009. Um, And it's an incredible experience to be part of that and to see how many innovations have been spawned out of that. So because of their focus on a customer shopping festival, the entire organization rallies around what everybody has to do To give them a fantastic experience. So, out of that came what is today coined uh, as the word shop attainment. And it's something that you've not seen anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. where retail is part of a business model. And shop attainment is basically capturing the fact that shopping is not just, I want to buy something and get something delivered, it's got to be a joyful experience. It's got to be a discovery. It's got to, be, um, it's got to have a little bit of mystery. And so things like gamification and using tools and technologies like augmented reality, um, artificial uh, intelligence-based um, uh, 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 games that people um Encounter during their shopping um, together with uh, incredible experiences like live streaming where customers can go online and see what 's known as a koL you know key opinion leader um, and in China these are, these people are incredibly popular with millions and millions of followers that engage not only the representatives of the Maison, but also a live chat environment with uh, people that are following the show. It's a show, an online show, a virtual show, but it's not really a virtual show in the sense that these are real products. This is a real experience. They can shop during the show. It's Direction. Shop, shoppable hmm. content. Um, shop attainment is just an extraordinary phenomenon. And it's everything because Alibaba believes that at the heart of their business model has to be a joyous, wonderful, exciting, exhilarating experience for the customer. That's what it's all about. And I can tell you, you can see today that many companies that have been uh, selling on the platform are starting to copy that in other countries internationally. You see it in the U.S., uh, which is a huge market that's very technologically driven. And it is our belief that China is the incubator of the new retail format that's ex- incredibly customer focused globally. Like we used to look at Silicon Valley,
0: mm-hmm.
1: me as an industry in other industries, we used to look at Silicon Valley and people would, you know, go on a A uh, almost a uh, religious journey (laughs) to Silicon Valley to learn, you know, Mm -hmm. to come back with the the 10 commandments of how they need to innovate and become better at certain things, especially technology related aspects. And today if you want to see the future of luxury shopping of retail formats, of innovation around uh distribution uh merchandising using technology china is the incubator Mm. and we strongly strongly believe that that is the future of um, of many of these developments Um, if you take for instance the flagship store which we know today will never go away, will never be engulfed by you know, a complete uh, um, uh, digital advancement because the flagship store is like the temple of the customer journey, the experience. You go to, let's say, use an example, um, Cartier's incredible uh, Fifth Avenue flagship store called The Mansion. Uh, or any of our uh, incredible uh, watch-maisons. You go to Zurich, for instance, to this incredible flagship store of IWC, or you go to uh, uh, Firenze, to uh, where Panerai is. You go to Paris, where you see uh, uh, Alliance uh, Atelier. Those experiences are emotive experiences. They are immersive experiences. And so it's our job to find ways to make these flagship stores what I call the emotional intelligence centers of the customer's journey and universe. You know, people ask me, do you think that the Chinese traveler will come back to you, to, 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 to Europe? Of course they will. Not only because... They're a very sophisticated nation. They're a very cultured nation. Much longer history of, 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 of cultural uh, uh, and art development than, you know, uh, the European um, history. And of course, they, they, they have a love affair with, with uh, cultural destinations um, and visiting their favorite uh, luxury maisons in Europe. And um, we believe that that will continue because it's an incredible um, escape for people to be able, and it's not just the Chinese the traveler, travelers globally will always want to come to a place where they have an emotional memory, their own it may be a piece of jewelry, it may be a beautiful handbag, it may have been crafted in Italy or wherever the city may be. That destination is something that creates lifetime memories. And that is what luxury is all about. It is about an incredible experience that you cannot, almost can't pay money for, but gives you a bond with that beautiful, timeless. Piece of art, of creativity, of authenticity, um, and it, it it becomes part of your persona. So, if you have one of those, or you want to buy that, you also want to know a little bit more about the maison. You want to get to know the maison. So, people will travel very much with that objective in mind. And so, the flagship store, to an extent, has it cannot avoid this digital journey because it must become an immersive experience. And as I said earlier, clients today use digital tools like phones, et cetera, to to help their experience. And if you look at Alipay, which um, is uh, the Alibaba Group's um, payment solutions uh, uh, company, a part of Ant Financial, it is an extraordinary company That. And many Western businesses uh, always thought that Alipay is just another point of sale payments uh, company. And you see a little advertisement, you see this device. No, it is not. We know today that Alipay is extremely attractive not only to Chinese clientele, to many clients, because it's like a loyalty exchange device, it has a lot of functionalities, and the digital capability allows you, when you pay, that they use smart technologies to recognise the customer. You can pay in very different ways, and it's a it, the multiplicity of technologies and innovations that's built into this device actually makes it essential for the experience that the client expects. In store. At the same time, yesterday there was this great article in the Financial Times, using the example of uh, this well-known uh, Inditex, uh, Spanish clothing retail uh, uh, giant, and talking about the innovations that they're doing uh, to develop this hybrid model um, that uses this the the, the store. As a shopping window, but also a distribution hub, and also to optimize inventory flows to provide better availability to clients, etc. And so, as I said before, nobody knows what the future will bring. But what we do know is that the more we can make every possible physical part of the value chain for the customer. The so called touch point for the customer, um, more impactful, the better. Wow, Frank, (laughs) this was quite a comprehensive overview
0: of of China. Um, Well, I I might, let's just maybe talk about a few elements. Um, You mentioned the shop entertainment, um, uh, the virtual one. What we've seen in Europe is that it's more department houses where they try to have, you know, coffee shops, hairdressers, maybe a concert or an art exhibition to get the people and especially the younger generations again, back into the department stores. Um, but luxury pavillons, you mentioned that the US is a big market. Do you think that the shop entertainment virtual would, would work in Europe and that the department store concept is p- uh, potentially a bit outdated?
1: Kerry, I do believe uh, this is just my personal view um, because I spent a lot of time in China uh, have spent a lot of time in China over the last, you know, two decades uh, and have seen this evolution. Um, and I've seen also how um, our peers in the luxury industry and in other industries, take like the car industry, for instance, um, have copied um, and experimented with what they've discovered there because... The lessons are universal, the challenges are universal, and the objective to improve the customer experience is a universal objective. We know today that the great tragedy of these tens of thousands of small, medium-sized individual jewelers that have died out because they just could not cope with the incredible disruption through the financial crisis in 2008 10 um, and the recent volatility. And we know what happened in the US, which is uh, uh, probably the pioneer globally of the massive mega uh, retail mall, that um, there have been many attempts to try and reinvent those malls. And we see today... There are a number of uh, mall owners and um, real estate companies are really, really taking these developments from China in retail innovation very, very seriously. We see today, for instance, if you talk about the concept of um, um, Shop attainment uh, that I mentioned—they they actually use that as a descriptive term for some of these strategies. If you take, for instance, specifically um, live streaming, the idea that you could do live streaming um, to combine inside a mall uh, entertainment, you know, rock band. Uh, an entertainment show for the kids, um, together with various um, experiences that people love during a shopping trip. Because they don't just go to a retail mall to buy something; they want to eat something, they want to watch a movie, they want to see something interesting. And we can use these technologies to actually create, create a great immersive experience, specifically inside the shop where. Not only are you able to see the existing inventory, but you look at the car industry. They don't have the kind of showrooms that we grew up with in the past. There are no cars in the showroom, but you can get an incredible experience about the car you want to buy by Mm -hmm. co-designing the car with the tools in the store and the expertise of the showroom uh, uh, assistant and um, you can actually then, you know, get a copy, a virtual copy of what you've designed, go home and carry on designing it and interacting, etc. cetera. Um, and so what that tells you is that every industry is really busy with an exploratory journey and the same for the luxury industry in the Western world. Um, and I'm sure that from what we've seen, Many of these Chinese retail innovations, particularly by companies like Alibaba, um, and the use of data, the extraordinary ability to understand the requirements before the shopping journey, before they travel, during the shopping journey, during their travel, after they've arrived back home, after they finish shopping. Um, to to improve the services to to take away friction uh, issues um, address complaints and to, to to really focus on a and they, they call it a shopping festival because it's a mm-hmm. festival people want to have you know joy they want to experience something beyond the ordinary that that is being copied in a big way you see this today if I can take for example um Walmart has done a significant amount, a significant amount of experimentation around this, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I mean, you can you can pick up any business uh, magazine, uh, and, and you guys have done studies on this topic. Okay, so this is really happening, and I do believe that this is it's a universal phenomenon. It will happen a lot faster. We talk about uh, the, the 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 digital platform. And the ecosystem of data-rich information, where everything is connected, and the ability of an Alibaba to pick up data about every aspect of a shopping journey for an individual customer. Imagine this: 850 plus customers, you know, on Amazing. the platform. And you look at Watches of Wonders. You have tens of millions of people that come to the Watches of Wonders virtual show you know, tens of thousands that go to the physical show, and the amount of social media engagement, and the unique visits, and people that watch and engage in the live streaming event, millions of people. That is, it, it's an unstoppable phenomena, because it's a universal need to, to achieve that kind of um, level of, uh, of, of innovation. And so we believe that Companies, industries, you know, by necessity will evolve. The rise of platform businesses is coming already. We know this outside of China. And um, it's an exciting time because it offers industries like the luxury industry opportunities to optimize, to improve ourselves, to um, see new different ways and to experiment, which means that you know, if you have a culture of experimentation, of trying new things, of curiosity, which is very much embedded in the DNA of Richmore as a company, we we love what's coming. We are excited <laughs> about what's coming. We can't wait. We, know we can hear that. <laughs> we, we know that it's going to be disruptive, but this is what one has to get used to.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, no, we can absolutely hear your passion, Frank. <laughs> Thank you for making this so clear. The, the, what struck me is that you you were speaking about a personalized shopping experience, personalized communication, everything based on data. What about the personalized products? You you gave the example of the car industry where you can choose your color, you can set up your car when you're in the, in the car retailer. How is this in the luxury industry and? Do the consumers want mainstream products to be recognized or do they want their own products in luxury?
1: Look, I think, um, I think many people, when they grow up, when they get presented with presents, you know, at childhood, you believe that this present is uniquely for you. It was made for you somewhere by someone, and your dad or your mom or your grandparents during Christmas or another event actually gave it just for you. That's the belief that we all grew up with. And it's it's a wonderful idea, it's a notion that actually makes it even more special. So I think, and again, this is you know our experience that embedded in many, many, many customers there's this desire to have something that that they can have a special attachment to because it really fulfills their emotional needs, their aspirational needs in a way that, you know, a mass-produced product, and I'm referring here to, you know, when you go shopping, let's say, for argument's sake, you go to the furniture store, or you, know, you walk into Ikea um, or you go and buy a, you know, a, a nice premium level car or, or, or whatever the case may be, there is a desire to try and m- get something that really fulfills your needs. We recognize this in the industry, and um, I don't want to speak on behalf of you know, the watch industry um, or my colleagues in the watch industry or the jewelry industry or the, um, the, the leather goods part. Um but the reality is we know that that desire is there and we know through technology, the ideal is to bring the customer closer to the conception and the design and the 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 artisanal process of making the product. Because the more you can do that, and it's an ideal world, the more the love affair between the customer and that that product that they ultimately, Acquires. Um, we know today that you know technology is 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 an unstoppable rise also in our industry, um, and uh, we know that um, uh, already from experiences some of our Maisons um, have reflected that um, that uh, customers take great 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 interest in. In achieving that, and so yes, uh, it's a it's, it's a trend that is not a new trend. It will continue, and technology will assist it. But it's also a question of um, customer knowledge that before was probably not visible because of our business model. And today, the more we become retailers at heart it's in your DNA and you understand and you really want to achieve the the ultimate experience, it it, it will increasingly happen.
0: Another question, um, maybe on the... You're a provider of hard luxury. Uh, you have you have fantastic products. Uh, in our episode two, we were speaking about liquid luxury, saying that the, the new consumer travel uh, destinations were you know well being, getting a massage, getting. You mentioned that you, when you buy hard luxury as well in a destination, it links you to the destination and it's a special event. Do you see an evolving consumer behavior as well towards more liquid luxury and thinking about sustainability and and you know. Um, 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 wanting to, to, to harm less and to have less impact on an environment moving away from hard luxury?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, uh, our, our group specifically, you know, we, we, um, we have hard luxury, we have soft luxury um, uh, businesses. And uh, if I look at the industry, um, the different uh, models and um, business segments, I think for the whole industry, the topic of sustainability, um, environmental care and responsibility, um, the whole ESG topic is incredibly important and is rising in importance and prominence, especially because things are becoming more and more transparent. And at the same time, um, as the tools to... Uh, measure the state of things become more sophisticated and as the consciousness is rising of the impact of doing business on the environment rises, so will the responsibility for businesses to mitigate um, uh, our behaviors. And I mean, I know that my two youngest children that are both Generation Z, um, I have a very hard time explaining the millions of miles I have flown over the last 35 years, okay? Long even before they were born. And I know that as we get out of this pandemic, I'm going to have a real, real, real challenge to explain every trip I do. And this is regardless of what industry I'm in. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, and that's why we're moving into a new world where uh, where one has to be aware. You have to be proactive, but it goes back to being customer sensitive and to be community sensitive um and to be to be responsible uh, not only for what you do, because we represent as an industry, a very large ecosystem of subsidiary communities that are part of our supply chain, part of our distribution channels, our partners. Um, And, you know, it's like the automotive industry and electric cars, you know, it's not a simple argument to say electric cars are, you know, more eco-friendly than than non-electric cars. I mean, that's a really, really complex argument. Absolutely. So it's, I mean, I don't want, you know, we can have this conversation for, for quite a long time. It's a complex conversation. But anybody that does not take this seriously, very, very seriously, this topic, do so at their own peril.
0: But I think you know one step towards all this conversation is already the pre-owned watch market. And maybe let's let's, let's finish the conversation with that, because I think um, I mean, firstly, this allows the watch to have a second life, to be reused, to have this um, circular economy concept being actively lived. I mean, you at at Richemont, you have been quite early into in, in this very promising market. Um, with the the acquisition of Watchfinders um, in 2018 and and Watchfinders at that time was already physical I can never spell the word correctly Uh, it it, it has had a strong digital presence but as well um, stores in the UK Um, what is your views on the perspective of the the pre-owned watch market and 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 how do you feel the integration and and Watchfinders overall is a solution to that
1: Yeah, it's interesting, uh, very interesting topic this, uh, and it's really a segue from our previous topic. Um, The initiative to embark um, on um, a development into the secondary watch market has been part of our thinking based also on our, our real belief on the importance of acting responsibly as a uh, manufacturer um, of of luxury watches. Because we know that um, in probably the last 15 years from a very small beginning to a very large industry, um, technology has enabled gray marketers to become a serious threat on the one hand, our desire has been to develop a circular economy model because as you know, Richmore has invested very, very significantly through buybacks to ensure the health of our distribution channel, our wholesale channels particularly uh, as well and we were proud that we that we that we did that because that's the right thing to do, but at the same time, you have to do something that is sustainable. And Watchfinder uh, was acquired not only because it's a great business and for us had a wonderful reputation, but it was a necessary and essential step towards developing an ability where we can offer our customers an opportunity to. Do a part exchange, which is what they do in other industries. It's a normal part of those industries, like the automotive industry, for argument's sake, um, where we can capture those pieces back into our ecosystem um, instead of having those pieces ending up on the grey market, as has been happening for a long, long time. And our view has been. Also, that if we're able to do that, we will be able to also recapture a relationship with those customers. And many of those customers have been our customers and have owned those pieces for many, many, many years. And they love those pieces, but it doesn't mean that they they, they, they don't love them anymore. And therefore, they want to you know exchange them for something else. That's not how customers think. We know this today. And so it's a very very important opportunity for us as part of the experience of building a lifetime relationship with customers to offer them a choice. It's a trend especially the younger generation will feel that you know owning something for life isn't an outdated idea but sometimes they actually want to have the option To trade up, they maybe want to have the option, and we discover that through WatchFinder, to buy something that they cannot 100% afford. But instead of going to buy something on an unregistered, non authentic grey market site that's very cheap, very discounted, and they don't really know what they buy, it it may be counterfeit, it may be something that actually, um, uh, you know, has been. Tampered with. Um, and it's, so it's part of our, our, our strategy to develop an ability for customers with a inc- high level of trust, unquestionably, being able to come to our watch maisons and to, as part of the sales ceremony, have the choice that if they own a piece that they would like to use. To buy something else, trade up. Then they should have the choice to do so, because that's how people today have evolved in terms of their lifestyles and their choices of owning luxury pieces. And so, for us, it's it's been a very interesting journey because one, we have seen over the last um, several years, especially through the pandemic, that people love. Watchfinder. They love the opportunity that Watchfinder has brought them as an incredibly trusted business with a high degree of um, services from even offering you, if you're a young person walking in, to offer you installments to be able to buy the piece, um, to be able to say to you, well, if you want to buy a piece, but you want to come and exchange that for, you know, maybe a honeymoon, we will do that as well for you. I mean, those are incredible experiences, which is which is what we need to do. So, watchfun is a very important extension of our watch ecosystem, um, our watch business ecosystem, and at the same time, it has brought us new insights about how to develop this ecosystem to capture a larger and larger portion of the known watch population, watch owner population out there that uh, that we want to accomplish.
0: We're back again at the customer uh, relationship, uh, wherever you put the customer in the heart of your strategy and understand more about the, the, the consumer and customer. Um, Frank, this was an absolutely fascinating conversation. What I um, appreciated most were your examples because this illustrates so well the, the concepts that we have been talking about um, and uh, illustrates the incredible journey that your group has been through in the last in the last years. Um, if I can ask you maybe a personal question, what does luxury mean for you personally?
1: You know, if you asked me the question before the pandemic, I probably would have given you, not exactly the same answer, but I can unequivocally say to you today luxury to me is about having an experience that is almost priceless and creates a lifetime memory. That is about the luxury. Um, not as an industry or as a product or as a visit to the boutique or having a very satisfactory online dialogue with a client ambassador or suddenly discovering a beautiful piece um, that, you know, might be 15 years old on Watchfinder or maybe a beautiful new piece that my wife sees. And she falls in, love, falls in love with it. And to see her fall in love with it. I mean, it is an emotive response. Um, and then being able to give it to her. And um, that's what luxury is about.
0: So it's a nice speech for your wife as well. <laughs> she will appreciate <it. laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today, Frank. This was really, really uh, amazing. And um, hope speaking to you soon. Thank Thank you,
1: you. Karine. Thanks for the opportunity. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Luxury On Air with Karine Segeti and Felicitas Moorhart. This podcast is provided to you by Deloitte Switzerland and the Swiss Center for Luxury Research. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can leave us a five-star review. If you're keen to stay up to date on what's trending in the luxury industry, don't forget to subscribe. As always, you can find more information about the current episode in the show notes. We wish you all the best. Until next time.